0: For some reason, our topic today makes me nervous.
1: It should. I'm more nervous about the small yeah. child waking up. Hmm.
0: Yeah. You're, oh, listen, guys, Gwen, she's awake right now, but she's like trying to go to bed. So if you hear somebody screaming in the background, just ignore it. I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And welcome to the 13th Floor Podcast. We're happy to have you here with us today because we're going to get spooky, ooky, oh. scary, Harry. What? Today, we're talking about- Predators.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is misleading in a little yeah, bit of a way.
0: Yeah, a little it's uh
1: anything
2: hunting humans.
1: Yeah.
0: Today we're talking about anything hunting humans.
1: Predators towards humans.
2: Anthrovores, things that eat people.
0: Yes, that's what James is James. Is that a term that you came up with off the top of your head?
2: It is, but it probably exists. In fact, I'm gonna look it up and see.
0: Yeah, why don't you make sure that we're not we're not calling these things something that exists and isn't horrifying oh wow
2: yeah all i'm seeing is actually i don't even want to say what i'm saying apparently googling anthropore just gives you a bunch of furry stuff
1: <laughs> all right <laughs> well, all right don't but it's sweat. accurate
2: it's accurate human eating that's really let's oh, okay. let's take let's take this back from the furries all right
0: <laughs> 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 We're talking about anthrovores today. How have you guys been?
1: Good, until James just brought that up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You know, that happens all the time. Like, I'll look at something that's trending on Twitter, uh, and I'll click on it, and it'll be something completely unexpected. And more than once, that particular fandom has just ruined my day with
0: stuff. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's James's personal uh, Twitter <laughs> experience. That's hmm. yeah. I hate Twitter. I can't get on Twitter. Yeah, yeah that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Any exciting life news? Um, I feel like it's been a while since we chatted.
2: I got a hernia. Oh,
0: wow. That is
1: exciting. Good for you,
2: James. Yeah. James. Yeah. Congratulations. Thankfully, it's small enough to where I don't need an operation. Um, what's basically happened is a lifetime of agricultural work and deadlifting has exacerbated a pre-existing umbilical hernia that I probably had since infancy. So I'm actually kind of glad that it, it came out this way. I was basically deadlifting, felt a pull. And now all I need to do is take it easy for two weeks. So,
0: so
1: James was like, dang, ice cream and video games for two. Right. Weeks? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so what you're telling me is that your intestines are just going to retract themselves back into your abdominal cavity.
2: It's so minor that it hasn't broke through the wall yet. It's Uh-oh. just sort of like bulged almost,
0: so it's like oh, oh oh, so it's like an almost hernia, yeah,
1: yeah, he just has to gyrate in a specific way, and it goes back in. <laughs> listen,
0: your hernia talk has really upset my daughter. She's screaming for <laughs> daddy right now. So <laughs> we're gonna wait one second for Alex to go and tell her tell her it's time for bed.
2: oh, man, anything interesting going on with you guys?
0: No, life has just been crazy busy. Um, I feel it's it's just same old, same old on on our side of the world. Just getting ready for cooler weather. That's awesome. Oh, Alex is coming back. He's about to hurt himself. What's up? Alex was just (laughs) dancing around the living room, James, in a manner that almost could have given him a hernia. Oh, goodness. Anyways, well, Alex is back, James. Alex, how was Mm. Gwen?
1: Good. She wanted to touch my ears. She wanted to touch my ears. <laughs> So I uh, let her touch my ears and then she wanted to see me touch my ear. And then she just thought it was hilarious. And then, yeah. So here we are. <laughs>
0: here we are. Hernias right. and ears. Hernias and ears. I guess. What? Um, <laughs>
1: sounds like an awful country song. <laughs> hernias
0: <laughs> and ears. Uh, What is our icebreaker this week?
2: Uh, well, that's easy enough. Uh, what is your favorite? Predatory animal.
0: Ooh, predatory! You know, oh. I think about this all the time, James. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> Who doesn't? Al- Alex, <laughs> you go first. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna think.
1: Uh, hippos. Nope.
0: What?
2: Hippos are herbivorous. They kill more people in Africa than any other animal or mammal. But they are only doing it defensively. They hmm. just eat grass. In fact, there's like a Maasai myth or something about how like it proved everybody that it only ate grass because it does look predatory.
0: I think but that Wait, so, it's like, so
1: it has to eat people to be predatory. You can't just well it has to eat flesh. Unborn. It has to kill
2: things to eat. It has to eat flesh.
1: You what can't if- tell me like one of them accidentally got a little nibble <laughs> and <he> was like <laughs> and he was like he was like, he was like that's pretty good actually. I kind of like it that. Do- <laughs> it, it doesn't count. It doesn't count.
0: I think uh, I think that mine is probably just the cat. A little right.
2: kitty cat. Mm. I mean, that's probably like the most predatory animal. Really, they kill everything.
0: I know they kill everything, but I still love them. They're just oh, they're yeah. so cute. I'm actually
2: going to talk a little bit about cats later.
0: Oh my goodness, James! I was going to mention yeah. cats too, but you know what? I'm gonna mm. you, I'm gonna let you talk about cats yourself. What oh. what's your favorite predatory animal? James?
2: Oh man, it's it's really tough for me, but I'd have to say, like you know, gun to my head, probably <laughs> probably. Crocodiles and alligators. Crocodiles um, and
0: alligators.
2: Yeah, just because like their element is so different from their prey. Like, I mean, that's the advantage. You know, sharks eat things that swim. Alligators don't. They wait for stuff that's not good at dealing with the water to get in the water, and then they drown them.
0: Mm-hmm. James, that is so dark. That's true. Yeah. Oh my what goodness. What about?
1: Mm, I'm, gonna <laughs> go with, I'm gonna go with bears. bears.
0: Ah, that's a good one.
1: Yeah, because they sleep a lot. <laughs> and you don't want to mess with the bear. Like I feel like a bear could take on just about any other apex predator.
0: It could be like rock, if you
1: really wanted to. What do you think, James? Do you think do you think a bear could take a shark on?
2: Yeah, I actually do. I think a bear could really mess a shark up easy. They are amazing. You know, they're smarter than six year old humans too. They're really smart. Really.
0: You know, I love yeah. the little video of the bear that's waving.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah yeah. That was I love the one of the one breaking into a house because. It uh, it smashes the lock on the house, just opens the door like nothing, but then it just slowly walks in,
1: like all cautious. It's like, hello.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, so weird. Is anyone home?
1: Yeah, I like bears. I feel like they could take yeah. on crocodiles too.
2: One of my favorite bear stories is there was this family, I think it was in Alaska because why wouldn't it be, and they were having, this is sad but awesome, uh, they were having a birthday party for their like six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, and a bear jumps through their um, – What's it called? Like the big glass roofs and houses? A skylight? It jumps through their skylight. They all run, of course, because a bear just came through their skylight. (laughs) And it just
1: ate all the cake. Uh (laughs) 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 The mission impossible of bears. Oh, my goodness.
0: Well, you know, Alex, you kind of remind me of Winnie the Pooh Bear sometimes, so I think it's fitting.
1: Mission bear possible. (laughs) Mission bear
0: possible. (laughs) All right. Well, you know what? I think it's time to talk about some anthrovores, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And James, Sir James is starting us off.
2: Yeah. And really what I'm talking about is the practicality of anthrovores. And when I say this, I'm not talking about just any animal eating a person. Lots of animals have eaten people. You know, again, bears, alligators, lions, tigers, etc. What I'm talking about is something that specializes only in killing humans which completely goes against our view of ourselves in the food chain because we think of ourselves as being at the top and that nothing would specialize in us so what i'm going to be talking about is the practicalities that maybe there is something that lives entirely on people focuses on people Mm -hmm. um and we can see some interesting precursors for this in other animals animals that eat other things The biggest indication that I would, or argument that I can imagine for something that specializes in human beings would be mimicry. I actually wrote a horror screenplay based, well, partly inspired by an animal called Acanthaspis pedax. It is an assassin bug and it kills ants. But the way it kills ants is very unique. Um, Ants generally don't spend a lot of time around their dead, just like most animals. Uh, But what they do is they create little graveyards, little piles of of their dead so that they don't catch diseases. Basically the same reason why we have graveyards, too. So what this creature does, this assassin bug, is it kills an ant, usually by sneaking up on it. And then it takes the corpse and it puts it on its body. And it can wiggle it around like a little ant puppet to lure other ants over. So, other ants will come over to investigate, and it just keeps doing this until eventually it becomes a big pile of carcasses.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: So, then what it does is it hides in the ant graveyard, and it waits for an ant to bring its dead, and it kills them. Hmm. That's dark. So, I mean, we can see an interesting parallel with that with a lot of our horror stories. You know, the the idea of something that lives in graveyards and, and eats people, that's... You find that in every myth. Mm-hmm. So the idea of something disguising itself as the human dead or as something that stays in graves or graveyards or tombs and just waits for some lone mourner to come along, or it's not completely out of the question. Mm. In fact, we see a lot of mimicry used for predation. When we think of mimicry, I think, especially camouflage, I think we often think of prey animals trying to escape capture. But it's just as frequent that we see mimicry used as a way to either hide among a prey species or even to lure them in. Uh, A great example of this would be the alligator snapping turtle. Its tongue looks like a worm, and the rest of it just looks like mud, really, when it's at the bottom of a pond. And so what it does is it wiggles that worm tongue until a fish comes along, assumes it's what it wants to eat, and then it gets killed. Mm -hmm. And it's important to mention the ants, the fish, all the prey species that I'm going to be talking about. They're not they are not really aware of the predator that kills them. They're not aware of the thing that specializes in killing them. Mm. So the argument that, well, of course we don't have anything that specializes in killing people be, because we would know about it. Well, that's exactly the point. If something specialized in killing people its entire existence would revolve around us not knowing about it. Ooh. So it would be something that would, and this is, this is one of the points that I was going to make, and I've touched on this in a previous episode. If we were to look at intelligent life on other worlds, we would almost always assume that they were at least omnivores. And this is because if you look at animal intelligence, in order to be an herbivore, you just have to be smarter than plants. Yeah. But in order to be a predator, you generally have to be smarter than your prey. And this goes double for social predators. Wolves have to calculate strategy. They have to think about, you know, you go in from the left, I'll go in from the right. You distract the prey, you uh, attack from the rear, and that's how they bring it down. It's, it, it involves communication. It involves social intelligence, and it involves some understanding of time, past, present, and future. Planning. This is something we see in dolphins, too, which are predatory animals. Pretty much all the animals that we associate with intelligence, with the exception of a few birds like parrots, they're almost all predatory. Where I'm going with this is, if something specialized in preying on human beings, they would have to, one, be pretty much invisible to people in the sense that we don't know about them, not in the sense that they're literally invisible. And they would also have to be, almost certainly, smarter than us. Smart enough to hide the fact that they exist. So, those are really the criteria that would be the defining points for a human predator. Hmm. We see mimicry used to outsmart a lot of creatures for for this very same reason. Um, And that's why I think The most likely anthrobor, if one did exist, it would look a lot like a person. It might look just like a person. But we even see some hallmarks of differences that they might have in our own mythology. Because if you look at most monsters, the vast majority of monsters, some of them are just, you know, mix mashes of other animals. You know, like the head of a lion and the wings of something, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. But most of them aren't most monsters in our mythology are just human beings or human shaped at least anthropomorphic but with predatory qualities because if you think about it we aren't uh and this is i know this is a big controversial thing even though it shouldn't be i'm not a vegetarian i'm not a vegan but biologically, we are very herbivore oriented. We have long intestines. We have flat teeth. People point out the incisors, but these are for breaking roots. If you compare them to the canines of other animals, they're tiny. We have very uh, herbivorous prey animal traits. In fact, the only trait we have that's not is we have eyes in front of our head instead of on the sides. And that's because uh, we need depth perception. Human beings being apes need depth perception. So we don't really have predatory traits. If you were to take predatory qualities, biological qualities, and place them on a person, you would have a monster. You would need claws because humans, we have to use tools to break down our food. A predator would never need something like that. So a human with claws, the eyes would need to be about 20 to 30% bigger at least. So it would have bulging eyes. Phew. We mentioned in our lizard people episode the tapetum lucidum or tapetum lucidum, they would have that. They would have that eye shine like in the Outlast games. They would have bigger teeth and wider jaws than what we have. Again, everything I'm saying just adds up to a monster, like a generic storybook monster like the kind you would find in every culture on Earth, which lends credence to the idea of, of either two possibilities. One, because human beings are our own worst enemy in the sense that, you know, If you're going to get killed by an animal, it's probably going to be another person, uh, that that's created this subconscious fear of people that manifests in monsters, or all these legends are based on precursors that did exist at one point in time, and human predators resemble people.
0: Phew. Alex knows all about monsters just because he talks about them every week on MBM.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Mostly of the reptile persuasion lately, but <laughs> yeah. we're, we're moving on from that a little
2: bit. And it's important to point out that when I say invisible, or I mentioned it earlier and I clarified a little bit, but that really is applicable to a lot of predator prey relationships. A lot of prey animals. They don't know that the predator exists because they've never seen one and lived. Um, a great example of this is some spiders actually use ultraviolet colors on their webs that look like flowers. Huh. So a bee that flies into it, uh, that fell for it, it never, it's never been bamboozled by said spider before, and it will never be able to explain to any other bees after, because that's how it found out, was it was killed. Mm.
0: I've never thought about that before, that lots of prey don't even realize that their predator exists.
2: yeah. And that's exactly the argument I'm making that, that, you know, it sounds outlandish to say that there's something that eats people, but if it existed, then it, it's the fact that it exists is a hundred percent contingent on us not knowing about it.
0: Man. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, well, that covers it for Oof. me, but I'll probably be chiming in on both of you guys.
1: Yeah.
0: Hmm? Alex, what are you talking about?
1: I'm talking about hungry Neanders, as I call them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, I'm doing uh, Neanderthals, and specifically Neanderthal predation theory, which is, it presents a very different version of Neanderthals than I think most of us have seen in media or museums or... Or
2: even covered in this podcast.
1: (laughs) Or even covered in this podcast. I've never even heard of these versions or the theory of these, and they're very... Very interesting. I'm excited to share it with you all. You know, we typically picture Neanderthals being very similar to ourselves. Still still pink-skinned, you know, maybe a little more hairy than ourselves. Longer heads, bigger facial features, like, you know, bigger mouths mm. and that type of thing. But pretty cute and similar to us. Yeah. But uh, new Australian research seems to indicate, done by a scholar named Danny Vindramini. He seems to think that these Neanderthals were actually aggressive, powerful carnivores who would, like, rape and eat us Ooh. at every turn. And he said that they're just these horrifying things. Like they needed so much meat, they needed two kilograms or 16 quarter pounders of meat a day.
0: How do we know that? Nice. Is that just a guess?
1: That That's examination of their current bone structure and... Their environment, whatever was left behind, like they examined some of the bones and that type of thing, and mm. and they, he, and here's his theory. He thinks that that included human flesh. So, mm. based on his research in the book, there's a book actually that he wrote called "Them and Us," in which he talks mm. extensively about Neanderthal predation theory, and he argues that because of Neanderthals, we evolved the way we did in order to fight back on them. Our physiology, our sexuality, and just mm. almost every aspect of our human nature is a result of how they preyed upon humans. Ooh. Yeah. So his big argument is, I forgot what he called them. He called them these Eurasian Neanderthals in particular. And mm. in the Mediterranean Levant, there's this population of humans, which is considered by many to where all of humans came from. Mm -hmm. This is where we all started, and from here we spread across the land. And I think this kind of gets in the weeds a little bit. I'm not sure how they would ever deduce this, but in his theory, Neanderthals actually were eating so many humans that they had got down to about 50 of us in this particular region. Oh, wow. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. That's really interesting because there was a cataclysm That caused human um, genetic diversity to just basically become non-existent. Like something happened that killed most people a long, long, flipping time ago. Mm -hmm. But I did not know anybody thought that that cataclysm was Neanderthals. That's bizarre. So
1: he thinks that that they killed so many that they got them down to 50 survivors. And Jesus,
2: that's like a horror. movie. Yeah.
1: So the only way that they were able to, I guess, pull themselves out of that is that they all banded together and turned into the like a horror (laughs) movie. Yeah. So they all banded together and became these like hyper aggressive humans so that they could fight back and keep from this. Because one thing that it looks like Neanderthals did is they took charge of large areas, but stayed there. Hmm. So they would stay in one place and be very territorial over a large area because they required so much food. Mm-hmm. But they didn't group hmm. up. So when humans started grouping up together, their numbers would overwhelm any Neanderthal. Which, it, under his examinations, Neanderthals seemed to be six times stronger than than a normal human. Hmm. So they could tear us wow. limb from limb. <laughs> hmm. But once we once we realized that we could get together, he says that it resulted in a global blitzkrieg of sorts where humans just wiped out and probably even ate every Neanderthal they could find. Man. <clears throat> Yowza. Which might be a understandable reaction to almost being wiped out yourself. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeesh. I mean, we do know that that was part of why they're not around, is we got together in much bigger groups – we functioned better in much bigger groups and we reproduced a lot faster. Neanderthals were really like uh like the introverts of the Ice Age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And they said that they even it even looks like they probably killed anything that looked like a Neanderthal. Hmm. So they're kind of indiscriminate hmm. in their murder, probably. So he also thinks that via a lot of these skin you know I mentioned their looks earlier. He thinks our vision mm. of them is way wrong. <laughs> he says there's no reason for us to assume that they would have skin like we did. Mm-hmm. This, this mm. pink skin. He thinks that they most likely looked more like apes and gorillas. Mm. That dark textured, almost like kind of leathery like skin.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: And he also thinks that they most likely would. I already mentioned, hang on, I already mentioned that they're massive, but that their noses were flat. <laughs> and a lot more, and they're not like ours, where they really, protrude out. But they're a lot more like ape noses. I'm showing CeCe sure a picture right now. Mm. Yeah, you know, that
0: looks well. If I saw that uh, yeah. picture, I would think it was a type of monkey or ape.
1: Right, but the, mm. uh, the his theory is pretty much these are <laughs> these are apes with knives and spears, like the it may. This is Planet of the Apes, <laughs> <Goodness>. <laughs> where they're just coming at you full force and. They can take down multiple people at once. So you can understand why these things were terrifying. And it also looks like the Neanderthals had, like you said, James, larger eyes than us. Well, they had bigger mm. skulls, larger eyes than us. And it looks like they may have even had slit-like eyes. Hmm. So that they could be more suited for nighttime.
2: Hmm. Oh, like the pupils. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Well, see, again, that sounds like a werewolf. What you just described is a flipping (laughs) werewolf.
1: Yeah, so they were pretty horrifying. They think the origins is because they came from the north, and which is why, in their theory, they would be covered in hair. Not just like a little hairier than us, but completely covered in hair. Yeah, so Hmm. if it wasn't for their need to, I guess, spread out from each other, they would probably have taken over. But there's another theory that contradicts it a little bit. It's not the predation theory. I will say that his theory, uh, Vendramini's theory, does seem to be catching on a little bit. Some people really seem to like it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that like, it's <laughs> like it is not a general consensus right now, but people do seem to be like, this is like a really interesting take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are other theories, though, that kind of go against this a little bit. And that's that humans may have wiped out Neanderthals without even really knowing about them. How so? Mm. That theory says that since Neanderthals are so opposed to migration, they stay in one spot and it's a huge area. Yeah. A huge area that they cover. Humans are always on the move. They're always going from one area to another. Drying up all the resources, moving to another, drying up all the resources. Mm-hmm. Well, by drying up resources in one area, oh. they could have inadvertently taken all the Neanderthals' resources, and they could have it could have resulted in them eating each other and just mm. wiping themselves out, fighting each other for territory. And we're just like walking all by, going, "Oh, that looks good," <laughs> and then we just leave the area, and then they all end up wiping each other out after we've like. Vacated the area. Yeah, I, I can oh, see wow. that. Yeah, and it does yeah. look like Neanderthals did at least deflesh their dead. Uh, we could tell that by some of the markings on some of the bones. We can't tell for mm. sure if they ate each other. It does look like it's a very real possibility, but it could have been a ritual that they did when they buried uh, when watched. they buried their people, remove their skin and their organs and all that kind of thing. But there are markings that looks like they were at least doing that, if not eating each other. Whoa. Yeah.
2: Goodness.
0: Jesus,
1: mm. always. And
2: well, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm less inclined to think Neanderthals ate people just because of two interesting things. One, as our, as I mentioned in a previous episode, we all, as in the three of us have Neanderthal DNA, which implies that there was at least some peaceable mm-hmm. interactions. Uh, but, Two years ago, it was actually discovered a, a hybrid girl was found frozen, and it proves that Neanderthals also interbred with Denisovans. So there, for me, I'm more inclined to think that if there was a, and this isn't like me being misanthropic, but if there was a conflict Mm -hmm. that led to one species winning, I'd say we probably instigated the conflict. (laughs) (laughs) Or homo sapiens more accurately. Interesting. Mm.
1: But yeah, Mm. I recommend people look up these 3D scans and pictures of Danny Vendramini's work because it is a really...
2: I thought you were going to say Danny (laughs) Vendramini. That'd be awesome.
1: But it's really interesting and when you see this depiction of uh, Neanderthals. It'll be unlike any, any interpretation you've seen. Anyone
0: you've ever seen. It looks like a hairless mm. gorilla.
1: Yeah, yeah. In the in the mm. scan it does.
0: Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling us about the hungry Neanders, Alex.
1: Mm, yes, the hungry Neanders.
0: Mm. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a, bring us back to present day. Alright. Yes. And I am actually mm. going to be talking about
1: Hungry Hippos. <laughs> hungry Hippos.
0: <laughs> Alex James holes earlier that hippos are not I know predators. that was the joke. Oh my goodness! But <laughs> y'all, yeah, just before I start, I'm just gonna tell you when I stopped for coffee the other day, I was waiting in line and I was looking up psychopaths <laughs> on my phone, and there okay. was a woman behind me, and I could tell she got a glimpse of my phone because she looked at me like really like what's wrong with you, which I feel like
2: mm.
0: number one six feet away, ma'am. If you're close enough to see my phone. But it made for a very uncomfortable little stand at the coffee shop. Anyways.
2: She was a human predator and she knew you were onto it. Possibly.
0: Maybe that's what it was. But yeah, you guys, I'm talking about psychopaths being intraspecies predators,
2: Mm -hmm. meaning they're humans
0: that stalk and kill other humans.
2: Oh. Serial killers, Mm.
0: humans killing humans, predators. (laughs) And to be honest, I am a big fan of true crime podcasts. My Favorite Murder was one of the first podcasts that I ever really listened to. So going into this topic, I feel like I kind of had like a base knowledge of what a psychopath was, Mm. um, which helped me a little bit. But I also read a book several years ago called The Psychopath Whisperer by Kent Keel. And it was was a very interesting read, Hmm. research for a movie that I was writing at the time. But uh, I got most of my research today from a very well-written article titled, Predators Among Us, psychopaths, by Dr. George Simon, and then from a website Mm. called cbc.ca, and then also my boy read it. So, (laughs) (laughs) one thing that Mm. Dr. Simon pointed out in his writing is that psychopathy isn't something that's, like, super straightforward, because nothing in life is. But it's a type of personality dysfunction, but there are so many different types of personality dysfunctions and intensities. So true psychopaths are said to be incredibly rare. And some people really take offense to the word psychopath because it insinuates that someone Mm. is deranged and insane. So some people instead like to call people who have this condition sociopaths. And honestly, there's a lot of contention between experts about sociopaths versus psychopaths. According to WebMD, which after Twitter, I think is one of the worst websites in the world because it always makes me feel like I'm dying. (laughs) But according to WebMD, sociopaths are more – they're more act now and think later, whereas psychopaths plot and know what they're doing from step one, which honestly feels a little more like a predator to me. Anyway, there's – you guys, there's so much contention. So mm-hmm. there's a test called the PCLR checklist, and it's what's used to diagnose uh, psychopathy. And it technically stands for Psychopaths Checklist Revised. And it was developed by Dr. Robert Hare, who's known for his research on criminal psychology. And it's used in courtrooms to kind of determine what kind of threat a given individual poses to the world. Mm -hmm. And it can help determine uh, lengths and types of prison sentences. So they'll administer this test, the PCLR, to somebody who's been you know, accused of some terrible, heinous crime. And then Mm -hmm. the jury will be like, okay, well, he scored this. So that means he's really bad, or he's just kind of bad. But Mm -hmm. uh, the test, it does have to be carefully administered, Because the results can obviously have a very profound influence on somebody's life. Right. Yeah. Mm. But there are 20 different factors that are graded on this test, including, and these are just some of them. I'm not going to read all 20, but superficial charm, uh, manipulativeness, lack of empathy. That's one Mm. of the big ones. Yeah. Yes. Lack of remorse or guilt, lack of realistic long-term goals, sexual promiscuity, impulsivity and so on and so forth and a score of 30 or above qualifies a person for a psychopathy diagnosis while 40 is like whoa off the charts take john wayne gacy for instance i oh. feel like he's a pretty notable yeah. serial killer he scored 38 or 39 out of 40 oh. and ted bundy scored 39 out of 40 on the test oh. hmm Ted Bundy, he's an interesting case because there's a lot of disagreement between experts and random people on Quora because I read a whole bunch of forums on this. Quora is so
1: interesting. I just going to say. It is. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is.
0: But there's a lot of contention. There's a lot of argument about whether Ted Bundy was a true psychopath or just had a very severe personality disorder. And hmm. that's that's the thing about this topic, James. Okay? There's so much disagreement about all of these diagnoses and words and medical terms and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <Give me laughs> a Absolutely. Hike. But let's get back to the predator part of the subject, shall we? <laughs> mm. um, regardless of what you call them psychopaths, sociopaths, antisocial, whatever they're smooth talkers, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. But some experts do argue that it's possible that people in general have actually evolved to be able to physically suspect when a predator is within their presence. Huh. It's what the caveman had to do after all, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're always on guard for danger because whenever they let their guard down, boom.
1: Looking out for those Neanderthals. No,
0: that's when you get bit by a saber-toothed tiger.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. Goodness. Like, you know when the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get this kind of uncomfortable feeling when you're around somebody that just kind of gives you the grease. Yeah, like I'm grabbing an mm-hmm. Oreo and I
1: just look over my shoulder and see CeCe like a like, drooling behind me. Yeah. A <laughs> predator for that
0: Oreo. But... <laughs> That, that those reactions, the hair standing up, goosebumps, uh, feeling a little bit odd, those might actually biologically be a reaction to mm. believing there might possibly be a predator nearby. And I do personally think that people have a sixth sense for this type of stuff, like feeling mm. creeped out. If Listener, if you're ever creeped out by somebody, listen. Listen to your gut and just get the heck out of there. You yeah. know what I mean? Never
2: get in the car, never get on the bus.
0: No, don't do it. Don't do it. Just hit the road. Because at worst, if this person's not, you know, a bad person, the worst you're going to make them feel, you you were a little bit rude. That's it. But Mm -hmm. anyways, I do think that there's something to that. But that being said, there are some predators that just know how to suppress those creeped out feelings in us with their charm and their manners and predators, predators can evolve too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you always got to be careful, but fortunately- Psychopathy is pretty rare. I read an article by CNN that listed that according to several studies, and don't ask me what studies, because again, this was from CNN, and I take major offense at the way they cite their sources. But according to this study, about 1% of all men in the U.S. are said to be psychopaths. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Hmm. And
0: also important to note, just because someone is a quote-unquote psychopath, it does not immediately mean that they're a killer. It's so. true.
2: And vice versa. Yep. Um, there have been serial killers who've scored under 10 on those tests, uh, which is frightening to consider. Yeah. Um, but that goes hand in hand with what I was mentioning earlier. Um, you know, the predator prey relationship is an arms race, one is always going to be trying to get an edge over the other, and vice versa. And so it stands to reason that over time, some populations are going to get really good at hiding that uh, impulse in their prey, and other prey populations are going to get really sensitive about detecting those behaviors.
0: I think that we already can detect some of it sometimes.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I read a very interesting forum on Quora uh, about psychopaths, (laughs) and someone actually did compare them to cats, like house cats, because house cats know what they're doing when they stalk and prey. They often, Mm. sometimes they'll play with their prey a little bit before they go in for the kill. So, I could see I could see why someone might compare a serial killer to a kitty cat.
1: And you want one of those well, in your I'm house. I'm glad
2: you brought up cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing about cats. And this is something that I was called crazy for arguing a long time ago. And now it's sort of come out as true. And I'm saying that to gloat. But <laughs> um, <laughs> there is a parasite called Toxoplasmosis Gondi. Yep. Mm-hmm. Toxoplasma Gondi. Oh, yeah. And it exists- to get into cats and mice um, from one to the other. And what it does is it infects a cat and it gets in cat's urine and feces. And then if a mouse is exposed to it, so it can go back and reinfect another cat, it suppresses a mouse's fear response. And I concluded, you know, every time you see a crazy cat person on like those animal order shows, they never clean up after their animals. So I think toxo affects people. Mm -hmm. And this was considered nuts. Well, now we're finding out that it actually 100% does affect human behaviors. So this is another thing I'm I'm mentioning. Uh, Our behavior is dictated by our gut biome, uh, the way we think and feel. And a lot of aspects of our health and our instincts are affected by our gut biome, which can be subverted by parasites. What if, this is a theory, what if, just like with cats and toxoplasma, What if human predators, whether they are intraspecies like psychopaths or another species altogether that, you know, co-evolved alongside of us, what if they have a parasite or a bacterium that suppresses our ability to differentiate?
0: Ooh, Mm. that's creepy, James. Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. (sighs) That's, I mean, that's a very interesting theory. And and thinking
2: about psychopathy, have you ever heard of the dark triad, CC, No. It's sort of like the psychopathy checklist, but it takes it up to 11 because it's three traits that pretty much if you go into the death row part of a prison, you're going to see a lot of it. And it's a combination of three traits, psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism. So psychopathy, which you went in great detail about. Narcissism, which is the view that an individual is more important than others, mm-hmm. and uh, often overlooks the welfare of other people, and then Machiavellianism, which is the willingness to manipulate others to get their way. Mm-hmm. So you get all three of those traits, and you have sort of a witch's brew for a a human monster.
0: Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why
2: it's called the dark triad.
0: I, I mean, that's pretty dark. Mm. At the end of the day it really just boils down to exactly what you just said James psychopaths they feel like they're above us mm. and that they're they're pathologically superior to all of us and mm. they take pride in that
1: mm.
0: which is the part that's scariest so at the Oof. at the end of the day you guys just be careful out there
1: yeah watch out for those hippos
0: Watch out for those hippos.
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah, that's about all I have. James, did you want to add anything else? Because I feel like you're an expert on this, this topic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think that's about it. I think of a tap dry.
0: Man. Okay. Well, you guys.
1: That's it. Look up Neanderthals. The hungry, Look up hungry... Ne-
0: <laughs> hungry <laughs> Neanderthals. Don't
1: actually do
2: <laughs> Hungry Neanders. I oh <laughs>
1: No, but look up uh, Danny Vendramini's DeVito. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look up Danny Vendramini's uh, Neanderthals and I think you'll hmm. you'll be very interested in what you see.
0: <sighs> well, that was a fun one, you guys. Talking fun. about anthroboros. Yeah. So, is it time <laughs> to pick out our topic yeah. for next week? Get All the right. vase.
1: Get it. Get
0: the vase. And Get it. Spin it around, baby.
1: Spin it around.
0: Pull one out.
1: We- There's a headphone in here.
0: What are we talking about next week?
1: We're talking about oo parts. parts. <laughs>
0: We're talking about oh. oo parts, and this topic was suggested to us by Don S in Kentucky. Uh, James, what are oo parts? Can you please please <laughs> explain? Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. When I first heard about them, I was like, "What?" Um parts is an anagram for out of place artifacts. So. Basically, things that we have found that don't make sense for where they are. It would be like finding um, a car battery in a Greek tomb from 6,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't make sense. Right.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about that. Hey, do you guys want to hear some fun facts about
1: Don Don S? S.? Oh, yeah. All
0: right, you guys. Here's some fun facts. Totally
1: true fun facts.
0: Totally true. Don is a big fan of Kylie Minogue's music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And also, at the top of his bucket list is going to see those little Japanese snow monkeys who bathe in the hot springs. Like, you know, you see mm. like the video of them. Yeah. They're surrounded by snow, but that's at the Jigokudani Monkey Park. Killed it. He wants to go there in person. So, yeah. Don, thank you so much for <laughs> submitting that topic to us. Hey, listener, if you've got a topic that you want to hear about and you want to hear some fun facts mm. huh, about yourself... Um, you can send your topic suggestions to us on Instagram at 13th Floor Podcast, or on our Facebook page where you can talk to James. You can also email them to us at 13 Podcast at gmail.com or you can submit them on our website, 13thFloorPodcast.com. Hmm. Alex, <laughs> who does the music?
1: Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find his music on Spotify, Amazon Music, iTunes, anywhere you listen to music.
0: You guys, I can't wait to talk about Oop Hearts next week. I
1: can't either.
0: <laughs> In the meantime, you guys, though, we hope that you can keep, keep it straight. I'll
1: a robot, James. Can you
0: Hernias and ears. Hernias and ears.